done if uh, no one else has got anything pressing. You could do a question solving yourself. You ask the question, <laughs> not to. Yes, I, well, at least that way I guarantee I could ask questions I knew the answer to. <laughs> Uh, yeah, let's, let's read Hebrews 13. And just like meander our way through it. Um, you know, it, it's sort of like, you know, like most of the letters you've got. I mean, we're reading the last bit of it. An awful lot has gone before. You know, all, all the stuff about, you know, the, this is the theology, this is the doctrine. And it, it's all important that we know that. But as with all the letters, what's the climax? What's it all about? Okay, well, you're, it's always going to the end of the letters to find out what the point is. And the point is what we're going to read now. Keep on loving each other as brothers. It, you know, I, I mean, it, it doesn't, you know, you, you can have masters of theology degrees. You can, you can know the Bible inside out. You can be a good teacher. You can be a good this, that and the other. But, um... Yeah, but the Bible says if we're not loving each other, we're not loving God. End of story. The only test for whether we're actually loving God is whether or not we're loving each other. And, you know, sort of go through John's letter and uh, he makes it absolutely clear. And, you know, he, you know, he doesn't mess around. I mean, things like he who says he loves God and hates his brother is a liar. Now, we, we shrink from that sort of language, don't we, in our politically correct world? But we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't. If, if you hate your brother... You can say that you're following the Lord and love God. You're a liar. End of story. Um, yeah, it's not saying you're not saved, but it's saying mm -hmm. but you're not in fellowship with the Lord in any ongoing way. Mm -hmm. So what it boils down to, keep on loving each other as brothers. Now then, okay, do not forget to entertain strangers. So when he says keep loving each other as brothers, he's, he's saying, you know, he's re referring to people who know each other. So, so therefore, the keep on loving each other as brothers, that's those who we know. But then he says, don't forget to entertain strangers. So you've got to love people we don't know who suddenly come, you know, who come across us. I mean, most people we're never going to meet. Yeah. But at any point, the Lord can bring someone along. And when a new person comes along, by definition, they're a stranger. And, uh, you know, the actual Greek word for hospitality, this is what it's talking about here, Hospitality is the love of strangers. That's what the actual Greek word for hospitality means. So, you know, this is this is talking about, you know, sort of like, you know, sort of loving people. And, and then he says, for, for in so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Uh, Abraham, he entertained an angel, didn't realise it was an angel. Um, Gideon did, Manoah did. You can look them up on another occasion. And, uh, you know, so, so yeah, there, there, there's always hidden blessings and sometimes blessings that we'll never know that they were there probably until we get to heaven. You know, so, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you can entertain an angel, as it were, and not realise that you've done so. And, you know, I, I think that there's, there, there are so, so many things that I look back on. In my Christian life, things maybe I got excited about, people that I met and got excited about. And then you look back and it all came to absolutely nothing. And that can be a bit discouraging because you can look back and see so much of it. So many things that appeared significant at the time. And then you look back 
and it was of no discernible significance at all because nothing of anything came from it but the point is in situations like that you know the Lord did did his work and and so kind of like you know I'm I'm encouraged I suppose it's another way of saying there are probably I've upset people I don't even realize I've upset them if you see what I mean um you know so even even in the the comings and goings where it looks significant and then it isn't well okay that might you know it might have been the equivalent of entertaining angels unawares you never know what God has done so so even when you know th nothing seems to be happening when when sort of you think oh this is great and then nothing comes of it all the time the Lord is doing his will you know and, and sometimes it can just be he could he, he actually can work in our disappointment as well you know he does things in us through disappointment so it's a challenge then isn't it when you're disappointed to hang on to the Lord and keep going rather than get cynical and you know sort of like all that sort of thing you know you start just seeing the cloud rather than the silver lining mm -hmm. and uh, you know and if you think about it Christians we you know we all ought to be really optimistic people because optimism always expects the best well the point is eventually we're going to heaven <laughs> I mean if nothing good happens to us between now and then our optimism really will have paid off won't it because we're going to be with the Lord so you know a good positive outlook is you know I'm not talking about positive thinking but I'm saying that because the Lord is with us because you know everything works together for good for those who love him therefore you know we ought to be a bit on the optimistic you know a bit on the excited side so good you know what, what what is it, um, you know, sort of like, you know, in Proverbs, there's lots of things about, you know, sort of like laughter is good medicine, all that sort of stuff. You know, keep keep light and airy and good, good, positive, optimistic outlook. Um, and then he says, marriage should be honoured by all. So this is the real nitty gritty, isn't it? And the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Kind of speaks for itself, don't, don't really need to say too much there uh, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have um, it's easier not to commit adultery than it is to be content in all circumstances isn't it <laughs> you know it's it's easier not to commit adultery than it is to be content in all circumstances isn't it you know, because I mean, obviously, if nothing else, there are ramifications of committing adultery. Um, but it, it, it's you know, and you know, and of course, that we say sexual immorality, adultery, terrible, terrible sins, and, and of course, absolutely, they are terrible, terrible sins. But but without drawing you know breath, he then moves on to another terrible, terrible sin: love of money and not being content. You know. And it's, I think, especially in our society, I mean, you know, sort of, you know, it's, I've, 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 I think I've mentioned it before, but uh, when, when, when Paul sometimes does lists of the sort of things that are excommunicable, you know, he, you know, he'd say, look, do not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother if, and then you get these lists, slandering, we can understand that, you know, immorality, a thief we can understand all that but then he says greedy greedy now I've never thought how on earth would a church or how on earth would we as a church on what basis would we dis decide if any of us were greedy 
You see, th this is a tough one because we're in such a materialistic affluent society. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with affluence itself because there isn't. The Bible never says it's wrong to be rich. But what it does say is it's wrong to want to be rich. You see the difference? Yeah. If you end up affluent, that's, that's fine. Well, the Bible says make sure that your giving is increasing in proportion to your affluence. But it's not that the Bible ever says it's wrong to prosper, but it's wrong to want to be rich. And, you know, sort of Peter says, stuff. I think it's Peter, or is it Paul? No, Paul to Timothy. You know, he says that those those who who love money those who want to be rich fall into many snares and you know it's the principle the love of money is the root of all evil meaning that if you love money there's nothing you won't do to pursue more of it you see what i mean you'll make so many compromises in your life you know you'll neglect your family you'll neglect fellowship you'll you know can you see you know you might tread all over people at work to better yourself or whatever and, uh, you know, so it's, it's a sort of thing, you know, if there was someone in the church committing adultery or a single guy who was sexually immoral, single girl who was sexually immoral, isn't it? You know, men, men don't have a corner on immorality, believe me. And, you know, sort of that, that would be easy. We could say, no, that's wrong. You've got to stop that. And if they didn't, they, they'd be out of the church until such time as they did. But love of money? You know, not being content with what we have, that, that, that's much harder. But it's there and it's as important as not being immoral. And, uh, you know, and I think that that is a real kind of, you know, that is one of the real tough ones that, that, that we struggle with today. But he says, okay, be content with what you have because, and then he gives the reason, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Now, who, who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you? Who's he quoting? He's quoting Jesus. Well, he says, God said. Verse there that Jesus is God, you know, just yeah, to sort of. But that's what he's saying. The Lord is with us. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. Mm. And it's funny because people try and use earlier chapters in Hebrews, they misunderstand them and they try and use earlier chapters in Hebrews to say that if you if you don't live a holy life, if you don't get free of sin, then you know God's going to reject you and you'll lose your salvation. Well that's not what he's saying here, is it? And but he's saying that because the Lord's never going to leave us, because he's never going to forsake us, we can be content. Knowing that absolutely everything is in his hands. And he says, then, so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what can man do to me? We've got to remember that he's writing into a situation, as we're going to come on to see in just a moment. He's writing into a situation where these Christians, he's, you know, uh, Hebrews is written to Jewish converts in Jerusalem. And, and we know that because they're doing temple sacrifice. They're doing the lamb sacrifice. So obviously they're temple bound. So they're in Jerusalem. So that's where the temple was. And of course, the, m most of the persecution in the early years of the church was from the Jews. 
So therefore, these are converted Jews. And some of them, you know, have been, um, you know, sort of like thrown into prison. Oh, I just remember, we skipped a verse, didn't we? Sorry, back, back to verse 3. I, I, I missed it. After he's done the thing about, you know, entertaining strangers, he says, remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are ill-treated as if you yourselves were suffering. So what he's saying there is that whenever someone is going through a rough time, whenever someone is suffering, you know, he's saying, feel what they're feeling. Um, you know, relate to them as if you were going through it as well. You know, it means, you know, it's what sympathy is. Uh, you know, vibrating in sympathy. You know, if you sort of like, you know, get a tuning fork and do it like that and then yeah. hold it next to a glass the glass will sound the same note as a tuning fork so they're vibrating in sympathy and that's what it's talking about here and that's part of loving people isn't it you can't you know you can't love someone and look on their suffering and not not relate to it now some people are better than others on the feeling front but the point is you can still there, there's time to make allowances you know but you don't you know sort of like you don't relate to someone who's going through hell in the same way that you'd relate to them if they were rejoicing. And so that understanding, and, and, and some of them were in prison and were suffering because they were being persecuted. Remember, before he got converted, Paul, what was he doing? He was, he was going to the houses where churches were meeting and he was dragging them out, throwing them into prison. So that, that's what they were going through. Now, some of them were arrested, thrown in prison, others weren't. But he's saying, look, you know, suffer with, with other people who are suffering. You know, le learn to feel each other's pain. It doesn't mean that if someone's in pain, it's then wrong to be happy when you leave them. Obviously, remember them in prayer. But it is saying, you know, you need, if only in praying with them when you're directly relating to them, show them that sympathy show them that you know that you understand what they're going through and so when he says the lord is my helper i'll not be afraid what can man do to me he's actually writing into a situation where these these people were but you know in danger of being dragged off to prison and some of them in danger of actually being killed um you know now we don't face that but Nevertheless, we, you know, we, we face character assassination. You know, we don't face physical death, but, you know, we, we face some other unpleasant stuff. And, uh, you know, again, we've got to remember the Lord is our helper. We're not going to be afraid, you know, that people, whatever, you know, we have no control over what they think of us and, and to keep our eyes on the Lord. And then he, he starts talking about, you know, their leaders. He's, you know, sort of, you know, sort of talking here about the elders. And, and he said, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, th that, that verse, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. It's one of those classic verses where people, they rip it totally out of context. And, you know, sort of put it as, as if, you know, and then just, you know, so that's why you get this thing about, you know, that we should be doing exactly the same as Jesus. You know, so everywhere we go, we should be healing the multitudes and stuff like that, because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Now, 
point is, if the Lord wants to work miracles through us, he will. But that, that's not the point of this verse. What he's getting at here, remember we're seeing these people are being persecuted. Why are they being persecuted? They're being persecuted because they're Jews who have stopped living in obedience to the law of Moses. See, because they're under the new covenant. Now they're living in obedience to the teaching of Jesus and the apostles. They're not going by the law of Moses because they've been set free from it. Now obviously the Jews who weren't believers saw that as the ultimate act of blasphemy. And so they persecuted them as evil, rebellious people. The Jews looked on Christians not as people suffering of their, for their faith. They looked on them as vermin who had turned against the Lord God of Israel. You see, So they felt very strongly about it. And so the point here... What he's making, he's saying, look, remember your leaders, just like Jesus, they, they don't change. All right. Now, the whole point here is that Jesus doesn't change. Whatever he was doing 2,000 years ago, he's doing today. He's the same. And this is the push. He's saying the outcome of your leader's faith is that they're just, they're just the same. They're as stable now as they ever were. And then he goes on, and you get this, this rather strange verse, because you know, a lot of this doesn't seem to fit together, but it does, because he says, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods which are of no value for those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. Now remember, these are Jews who know the Lord. And over a period of years, they've dropped the law of Moses. You know, they're not doing ceremonial food. You remember when Peter saw the vision of all the food, you know, and God said, don't call unclean what I've called clean, you see. But what's happening is that because they haven't been doing the law of Moses, they're coming under increasing persecution. And what's happening is, and this, this would be written to multiple churches, because they're, you know, there were quite a few Christians, um, in Jerusalem uh, but what's happening is that more and more Christians are jumping ship they're going back they're into the law you know and that's why it's in Hebrews you've got don't keep don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together you see they're getting drawn away from the church they're getting drawn away from the faith going back under law because that's relieving them of the persecution they're facing and remember, often one of the things about when everyone's against you, it's not just the fear I might be arrested and thrown into prison, but there's tremendous psychological pressure. When everyone's against you, you start doubting yourself, don't you? And what the writer is saying, he's saying, look, he says, you're going back into all these laws that count for nothing. He says, look, we have an altar to eat at, I in heaven, that the people down at the temple, they've got no right to eat. What they're doing is pure death. Because now that Jesus has come, and this is a big part of what he's already covered with them. He's saying the law has been superseded. The Mosaic law, it's gone now. Because that was the shadows, now the reality has come. So everything in the law of Moses was pointing to Jesus. Now Jesus has come, died, been raised again from the dead. All that is gone now. But these guys are going back into it and the whole push of the letter is he's showing them how worthless 
the law of Moses is now the new covenant has come. It wasn't worthless before the new covenant has come, but now it's been superseded. And one of one of the ways to you know look at the relationship of the law of Moses to the new covenant is a uh, you know a bit like you know when Challenger goes up you know the space shuttle and it's like you've got you know the rockets and it's got these massive rockets on it and it they get it out of the atmosphere so it's just about to escape the atmosphere and the gravity of the earth and get into space now once those rockets have done their job it discards them they're gone and in fact if it didn't discard them those rockets that got it to where it needed to go would then hinder it would get in the way of what it was doing that's what the law of moses was about the law of moses was absolutely crucial it was the rockets that got you into orbit. Mm. But now that Jesus is here, you're in orbit, let the rockets go. They've done their job. They're defunct now. They've, there's nothing more for them to do, right? And that, that's a bit like the law of Moses. And it, he's pleading with these people, showing them how ridiculous and worth it, worthless it is to go back under the law, all right, really turning their backs um, on Jesus and everything that he'd done just just in order to be in with the rest of the people in Jerusalem and so what he's saying is he says look you've changed he says you're being carried away by strange teachings what strange teachings the law of Moses that they dropped when they got converted years before so he says you're getting carried away all right he says you're changing but what is it he said about the leaders? He says they haven't changed. They're, your leaders are carrying on just the same as they were. They're still following the Lord. You know, they're not getting carried away by all these fads. And he says you need to look at them. They're the ones who are giving you the proper example. You know, look to them. And then in verse 11, he moves on to this. He says, the high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. So remember, outside of Jerusalem, there was this massive rubbish dump, and all the bodies of the sacrificed animals were all thrown on the rubbish dump. It was kept burning the whole time. The, you know, the bodies of criminals who were crucified were thrown on it. I mean, it was a horrible place. And it's the place, it was the Valley of Gehinnom, and that is where once Israel sacrificed babies to the god Molech. And it, it, it became, in Israel's thinking, a, an evil place because it represented the, 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 the most vile things that anyone could do and it became like the rubbish dump and all the animals you know the the bodies of the animals and criminals were thrown there and it was that place the valley of Gehinnom that lent its name Gehenna to the lake of fire and that's why the you know the rabbis you know sort of like referred to the lake of fire as Gehenna and so did Jesus you know so I mean obviously Jesus accepted that that was a perfectly acceptable name for it and so what he's saying he says the bodies are burned outside the camp. All right. Now, under the law of Moses, if you had someone who was unclean, if you had a leper, what did you do with them? You put them outside the camp. You rejected them. They couldn't mix with you like ordinary people. They lost the privileges of their citizenship. And then it says, and so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate 
to make the people holy through his own blood. So what he's saying here is that once the bodies have been sacrificed, or once the animals have been sacrificed, then it's to this place of absolute shame, absolute contempt. You know, a place where decent people don't go. All right, and he said Jesus, he died on the cross. All right, he was the sacrifice for our sins. So metaphorically speaking, what did that cost him? Well, he was held in utter contempt by just about everybody. Everybody looked on him as being an evil person, not the person he actually was. So then he says, let us go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. So the point is here, the picture is that within the walls of Jerusalem, there is acceptability. There is belonging. You're okay. Outside of the wall, you're a leper. You're rejected. You're evil. You're unclean. Now, the whole point is, these Christians, they've grown weary of everyone relating to them as if they're lepers, as if they're unclean. So they're compromising. They're compromising. They're going back under the law to get their respectability back. But what the writer's saying, if you do that, you're not with Jesus anymore, are you? Because where's Jesus? He's precisely in the place of being held in contempt. Because remember, why is it that the Christians were hated? Because the world hates Jesus. Sinful men and women hate Jesus. The sinful nature hates Jesus. So whenever you stand with him, those who don't stand with him are going to hate you. And so what he's saying, look, we, where do we belong? We've got to, it's a choice you've got to make to go outside of the city to be held in contempt because you're standing with Jesus according to his word. And then he says, for here we have no enduring city, but we're looking for a city that's to come. What's he saying there? He's saying, look, remember... I mean, you know, it's eternity. The eternal state is coming. And what we're going through down here, all the good, all the bad, all the joy, all the sadness. The, the, I mean, if, if, if the eternal state is the book, the story of our existence, then down here it's not even the preface. It's the cover. It's just the front cover of the book. The real business is yet to come. So here it's purely temporary. And that's why Paul in Corinthians refers to the body as being a tent. Now why? Well, Because Israel, for 40 years, they went through the wilderness. What did they live in? Tents. What did God live in in the wilderness? He lived in a tent as well. When they got into the promised land, well, they were there for another 2,000 years. And in actual fact, are going to end up in it permanently once Israel is restored. So the point is, tents represent temporary. You know, you don't live in tents. That's a temporary existence. And so that's the point. This is just temporary. So we can afford to go through a bad time down here. Because we're not going to be going through a bad time for the rest of eternity. Or the rest of eternity. I mean, you can't, that's an oxymoron. Sure. 
you know, the rest of, make as if time is involved. Mm. It won't be involved. You know, so this, this is how he's pleading to them. He says, look, be willing to suffer for Jesus. It's good, it's good to be held in contempt, assuming you're being held in contempt because you're being faithful to God's word. Now, obviously, you could, you could go be obnoxious to your next door neighbour and people at work and they'll hold you in contempt. That's not sharing the suffering of Jesus. That's suffering for our own stupid sin, isn't it? But this assuming that we're being held in contempt because we're standing with Jesus. That's, that's what he's saying. So he says, don't, don't go back into all that. Your leaders haven't. Look to them. They're being a good example. Okay. And then he goes on to say, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Now, why is it a sacrifice? Well, because if you're going through a rough time, you know, life isn't always fun, is it? But God is worthy of our praise. He says, and that sacrifice of praise is the fruit of lips that confess his name. So if we confess his name, then we, we're going to be praising and thanking people. What does the word confess mean in that context? Well, it means just, just, just to say the same as. So, so a com, you know, you get a confession of faith, or someone confesses their sins. Confession in the Bible is saying the same as. So, you know, the point is when we confess our sins, we're agreeing with God that it's sin, rather than excusing it. You know, so the point is, you know, confession. So, you know, it's no, it's no use saying, hey, you know, sort of like I. I confess the name of Jesus, I'm following Jesus, <coughs> you know, if, if, if we're dour and down and, uh, you know, and if there's no praise and no thanksgiving. I mean, praise is simply appreciating who the Lord is. And thanksgiving is appreciating everything he's done for us. And then he, he says, and don't forget to do good and to share with others. So we're back now. Be content with what you have. Don't want to be rich. But to whatever extent you prospered, right, share with others, do good, share with others. And he says, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And there's a lovely, I think we did a Bible study on this one. So there's a nice little three point Bible study there, isn't it? That you've got, you know, sacrifice. There are three sacrifices that should mark our lives continuously. The sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of doing good doing good works in the world, and the sacrifice of sharing, giving to others, you see. And that's, that's, that's the Christian life. Praising God, doing good works in the world, and doing good to other believers, and giving, sharing what we've got with those who don't have. I mean, that, that's, the, that's what the Christian life is all about. That's what loving God is all about, because that's what God is like. And, and with this context, we've got this terrible verse in verse 17, because it's not a terrible verse. But what's terrible about it is even, even in our Bibles, it's totally mistranslated from the Greek, all right? Because when it says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority, they keep watch over you as men who must give account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy. And that, you know, that verse get preached on again and again and again to convey the idea that church leaders are in authority over the people in the church. 
which is something the Bible never ever says. And in actual fact, you know, we got to kind of do the Greek here. Firstly, when it says submit to their authority, the word authority does not appear anywhere in Hebrews 13. So scrub that, you know, they just put that in for effect. But this word obey that you get twice, obey your leaders and, and then halfway down, obey them. Uh, there's, a, there's a Greek word that means to obey someone because they're in authority over you. It's the Greek word when Paul says, children, obey your parents. Okay, that word nowhere appears in Hebrews 13. The word obey does not appear in Hebrews 13. And this word that is translated here, obey, pytho, it means to be persuaded. And it's in the passive voice here. So what it's saying is he's saying to the people here, be willing to be persuaded by your leaders. Now, what's the point he's saying? The leaders clearly are not bailing out on the Lord, are they? They're, they're maintaining their example and confession. Even though it's hard, they're not going back under the law. They're sticking strictly with what the Lord said and what the apostles were teaching. All right. So he's saying, be willing to be persuaded by them. They're, they're right. They're absolutely right in this. And, um, and, and, and then he says, they keep watch over you as men who must give account. Be willing to be persuaded so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. Because that's no advantage to you. If, if, if church leaders get too much of a hard time from other people in the church, well, that's, that's, that's really no good to anyone. But we still got this word submit, all right? So do you have to submit to your elders? Now, there's a Greek word that means to submit to someone because they have authority over you, okay? That word, I mean, like wives, submit to your husbands. That word nowhere appears in Hebrews 13. The Greek word here translated submit is hupaiko. Now, it's the only time it occurs in the whole New Testament. So we can't see how it's used elsewhere in the Bible. So in order, you know, we, we're, we're just stuck on, well, what do we know about what it meant in the Greek culture? Well, the word hupaiko, it did mean to submit but it doesn't mean to submit to authority. It means to submit to greater strength after a fight. So, you know, like a wrestling match, you know, you, you either get a knockout or a submission. So if you manage to get a submission out of somebody, you've overpowered them, they submit and you've won. That's, that's the word here. And so what the push is, you've got people who are bailing out. All right. OK, they're, they're arguing, let's go back under the law and stuff like that. OK, you've got the elders who are saying, no, 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 this is all wrong teaching. We've got to remain faithful to what the apostles are teaching. Now, obviously, if you've if you've got people in the church who've got a beef or a grumble, who do they go at? The elders. See, you know, you can't whack God. So you whack the elders, don't you? So the point is, in a situation like this, You've got people who are fighting the elders. The elders are saying, no, this is wrong. This isn't what the apostles have taught. Okay, and you've got people saying, no, no, we've got to go back under the law, you know, under the law. And what he's saying here, he says, look, remember, your leaders have stood firm. 
you only recognise them as elders because they've proven you, themselves to you anyway. So he's saying, look, be willing to be persuaded by them. Don't keep fighting them. That's what he's saying. He's not saying obey your leaders and submit to your leaders in that sense. That's not what the Greek is saying at all. He's simply saying, look, go with what your leaders are saying. Be willing to go with them because in this instance what they're saying is right. And then in, in verse 18 he says, pray for us. Now it's interesting because we don't know who wrote Hebrews, so we don't know who the us is. Uh, it, it, it does seem to me that the, 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 the only thing that one can say, I think, of a certainty about Hebrews is that it wasn't written by Paul. And I think that the King James Version is very unhelpful because it's got the epistle of Paul to the Hebrews. Now, the, the Bible headings weren't the original text. They're not inspired. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if people think that Paul wrote Hebrews. It just seems, if you read all of Paul's other letters and read Hebrews, it's not the same person. It's just not the same person. But anyway, we don't know who, who wrote it. But he says, we are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honourably in every way. I mean, isn't that amazing? Let's think about that. To wake up every morning to have a clear conscience and be desiring to live honourably in every way. And that That's amazing. It's like, you know, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. I really, really, really want to live every day with a clear conscience and to live honourably every day. Now, I don't, but that <laughs> I want to, you know. And... Um, that, that should be our, our desire. And then he says, I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. So obviously he's trying to get to them, but he can't for whatever reason. And then he says, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. So here, here we got shepherd, that's the word pastor. And Peter calls him the chief bishop of our souls. And, uh, you know, as so you've got, you know, with Jesus, that he, he's every, he is the senior elder. And that, that's why there's no hierarchy in a church, you see. Because the, the high, well, I mean, there is a hierarchy, just Jesus and everybody else. You know, so it's not that elders are over the people, and it's not that one of the elders is chief over the other elders. Jesus is the chief elder. He is the chief bishop. He is the chief pastor. And uh, end of story, no hierarchy in the church. And then he says, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And he says, brothers, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation. For I've written to you only a short letter. That's quite interesting, actually, because, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure... Who who who'd say that that's a short letter? <laughs> now I've <laughs> I've actually been critiqued for writing too long letters. You know, like like that I write at too great length to people sometimes. Well, I don't know. I don't think I do. I'm sure yeah. it's pretty rare for me to write something this long to somebody. I mean, I write a lot of correspondence to a lot of people. Um, you know, so the, the, <laughs> it, it, this is his definition of a short letter. I don't know what this guy would have been like doing a long Bible study. You know, could have been there several days perhaps. But um, 
Anyway, then he says, I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. Now, what this tells us, although we don't know who the writer to the Hebrews was, he was absolutely close to the apostles. Indeed, might have been one of them. He was certainly close to Paul. If he knew Timothy, he knew Paul. So the point is, they would have known who he was. You know, that's, that's the main thing. And he says, if he arrives soon, I'll come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all God's people. That's actually rare in the letters. If you go through the letters, it's, it's exotically rare for leaders to be referred to, mentioned or anything. Um, you know, and of course, what, what that tells us is that, you know, that in the New Testament churches, they weren't obsessed with this leadership thing like churches are today or, or really have been since the early church fathers. Because remember, the first unbiblical idea that the, the fathers came up with was the idea of having a priest over the church. So immediately you've got now hierarchical leader. Well, if you've got hierarchy, the people at the top are more important than the people at the bottom. So therefore, ever since then, we're obsessed with leaders, aren't we? Leadership. Indeed, a ch churches are defined by their leaders. Because, you know, whose name is on the board outside of the religious building where the church meets? It's the pastor's name, isn't it? Yeah. And, and that is the complete opposite of the New Testament design. <coughs> but I think here, the reason that he says, greet your leaders and greet all God's people, is the leaders are clear. I mean, you know, sort of here, the leaders, they're getting a bit beaten up by the people, aren't they? So he's saying, spare a thought for the leaders, you know, don't, you know, don't. Don't make it tough for them, you know. And um, and then he says, those from Italy send you their greetings. So obviously he's been in Italy. And then he just sends up, grace be with you all. So anyway, that's, that's, that's Hebrews. But I think it's the last chapter that makes sense of all the rest of it. Because so often people home in on all the theology, all the doctrine, all the and miss the whole point and the whole point of it all is, is how we live our daily lives and this is the practical outworking of it that's not like the Christian now we live a Christian life and yeah. that's that's right. feel that's, that's, right. that's important how you live that's right you know, how you behave yourself too and, but leaders would have a natural influence over the church anyway, just by their very nature. Oh, I mean, yeah. if, oh, yeah. if they're very um, sort of outgoing, you know, I mean, you've got a lot of um, leaders in churches that are very much into evangelism, and so the church is very much geared in yeah. that way. So, I mean, there is a Oh yeah, yeah. But if you do get a situation, because this this would probably, you know, I mean, clearly he's writing generically to the believers in Jerusalem. So clearly this was a a multi-church problem. I mean, he's not just writing to one church or you know one individual little house church. He's writing to the churches of Jerusalem, and uh, you know there'd have been a you know sort of like you know quite a few of them. But the thing is that when you do get problems in churches, I mean, not, you know, of, often people, if the elders are doing their job properly, you've got to get around the elders. 
if you see what I mean. And that that's often where the fighting starts, isn't it? And so you're normally, you know, I mean, there, I mean, certainly there have been times here when I really wish we'd have had someone of very great influence who would have written to everyone saying, um, you know, sort of, you know, don't come out fighting against the elder all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, can you see what I mean? Because that that does help. You know, I mean, the, if if the elders ultimately are the ones standing between the church and chaos and what Satan's trying to do to destroy it, then if there are people who are trying to get in there with false teaching or whatever, stirring up trouble, then normally it's the elders that they've got in their sights. Because they've got to, you know, they've got to get rid of the elders, if you see what I mean. So whether it's fighting against them blatantly or whether it's the, you know, the rumour campaign, the gossip they're trying to turn people against them behind their backs and that. It's always the same principle. And that that's what he's saying here. You know, these verses, you know, I mean, it's just wrong translation. I mean, submit is okay, as long as you understand that it's not submit to authority, but submit to greater strength. But the idea here is, if elders are doing their job properly, you can fight them if you like, but you'll lose. <laughs> that's the idea. But it's nothing to do because they've got authority over you. As I say, the obey here is not obey, so it's be willing to be persuaded, which is entirely different. It's interesting that he uses the word shepherd for elders. Yeah. Because definitely if the the wolves are coming to, to attack the sheep, then obviously the shepherd's there with his staff. Yeah. To beat the wolf off. Yeah. That's right, that's right. And, th- and that is the twofold. It's the caring for the sheep, but the protecting them from predators as well. So elders are on the front line. Yeah, I suppose a bit like, um, you know, I mean, I don't like the analogy of them being called sheep dogs mm. because yeah. elders are sheep as well. You know, I mean, we've yeah, got yeah, to be yeah, careful. You know, yeah. they're, the shepherds oh, are yeah. also sheep. Yeah. But yes, they do have this protective role. And, David, uh, David fought lions, didn't he? Yeah. And bears. Mm. Yeah. King David. Yeah. Fought lions and bears to protect the, sh- the sheep. That's why he wasn't scared of Goliath. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
when the church isn't being attacked from the outside, you know, and that's okay, you know, well, I mean, I mean, the church is being attacked ideologically all the time, but then you'll find the real problem is the believers who aren't standing on the word of God holding those who are in contempt, mm. see? And that, you know, that's why obviously mo most of the difficulties that we've experienced have been from other Christians. And I've um, got greater ammunition and knowledge because of their knowledge base, mm, you know. Yeah, yeah. Far easier them to pull scripture and mm. twist it subtly to. Yes, yeah. So they're a greater weapon for Satan rather than unbelievers, aren't yes, they? Yes,
But then, of course, what happened is all the, the experts moved in and you've got all these new denominations that started up. You know, the Restoration Church is like the one that you used to be part of, Philippa. You know, and sort of, you know, all these different, you know, so they, they're all starting new churches because they wanted to get back to the Bible. OK, a lot of these are the people who will do everything they can to bury us because we have the arrogance to start a church saying that something has been missed biblically. But hang on, that's what they did 30 years ago. And they were right about the gifts of the Spirit. They were wrong about what church ought to be like, because what they did is they simply, you know, you, 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 you had unbiblical, unspirit-filled churches. And there was a move of the Spirit, and you ended up with unbiblical, spirit-filled churches. Well, that's great. But now, can we get them biblical? So when the when the spirit filled people were starting unbiblical spirit filled churches, what were the unbiblical unspirit filled churches doing? Persecuting them, right? So now we're saying, okay, let's have spirit filled biblical churches. So what are the spirit filled unbiblical ones doing? <laughs> See, so thirty years ago, it, God used them to start new churches because there was something in the Bible that wasn't being done. They wanted to do it. And God bless them. They had every right to do that. Other people come along now saying, right, that's brilliant. But look, there's this that has been missed as well. And we're the devil incarnate, you see. So when they started new churches, that was the Lord leading them. When we start new churches, we're troublemakers, you see. And that's how it works. So... You know, you know, and I think as well that what we need to learn from that is to make sure that we never end up with an attitude of too readily being against anything that is new to us. You see what I mean? To really be open-minded to it, you know, to yeah. really test it to see if it's scriptural, and even if it's not scriptural, to not close our hearts to those who are, you know, one might have to say, well, that's not for us. You know, but to make sure that we are never persecuting anybody. No, we love yeah. <laughs> the greatest lesson of church history, perhaps. We've heard about being prisoners and things over your prison. But you see, it's done with a lot of Christians today in prison for their faith. You Absolutely. Know, you can actually be with them, you can pray yeah. for them, you know. That's right. Yeah, but you know, you know, they're in prison. You can't actually sort of do it. You know, can't get to them. But you pray. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's why you know organisations like that are doing an important work. Yeah. And uh, what's it called? Uh, Amnesty International. Yeah. Well, yes. That's slightly different. That's yeah. not a Christian no, one. Christian, is but you know, it, yeah. it's kind of you know happy with CSW than Amnesty International. Yeah. But, yeah, um, that's why we can't do with barbed wire around it. Hmm. Yeah, that's what I think. Hmm. Well, what you, about Christians who have fallen away, committed a crime, gone to prison, and then repented? Yeah. I mean, should we visit them in prison? Or is it just those that have been in prison because oh, of their faith? Well, I mean, here he's talking about those of their number who have been arrested and taken to prison. So he said, for heaven's sake, don't, you know, sort of you know don't forget them but prison ministry is a very honorable thing to do that that's not quite he's talking here he says they're fellow prisoners yeah you see so the, these were people they know or you know or at least say say there were 20 or 30 churches here in epping 
all right? And, um, you know, we wouldn't know every Christian in every church. But if the authorities started arresting some of the Christians from some of the churches, we, we'd feel we had a real connection with them, wouldn't we? That, that's what he's talking about there. But yeah, if Christians are called to prison, you know, sort of prison ministry, that, you know, absolutely valid. That's not quite what he's talking about oh, here. Okay.